Well, that about does it. What do you mean, that about does it? We're all done. That's the RPG mainframe right there. That's that's all the diagnostic data. Well, that's it? Well, yeah, I mean, it's basically a highly capable, super-fast microprocessor contained in a tiny spacecraft. Has the capability to dilate time, fold space, synthesize matter. I think it can even affect causality based on the outcomes of the processor. Makes a warp shell look like a toaster. So, now what? Well... I don't know. You're the one who wanted me to do all the diagnostics. I thought there was like a universe to save or something. There's some kind of big quest and there's not much time. Uh, Something devouring planets, destroying the timelines. I I can't quite remember. It's a bit of a blur. You were were a little strung out that night. Well, now that we have all the data, the mystery is sort of solved. I feel kind of disappointed, kind of let down. Well, yeah, but there's all the all the hard work of saving the universe yet to do. Yeah, I guess so. Greetings, programs. It's your old buddy Ingrid Bernal, Hankard Fernhill here up in northern Runeham area, coming back at you for another episode of the podcast made to RPG mainframe right here on Runehammer. Whoa, it's episode 55. Any Anytime you got a number that's both numbers together, that's a cool number. And this is 55, so I'm feeling pretty good about it. Hey, everybody, welcome back. Most of all, woo, we have had a lot of new Patrons showing up in the shield wall. So, dang, man, our numbers are growing. We're up at 670, I think, right now. So, you know, originally I made that 1,000 patron goal. On Patreon, just as a joke, I figured it'd be cool if I got like 20 people who are crazy enough to join the the shield of RPG creativity of like, you know, banding together and saying we want to do it DIY style. Think about it deeply. We don't need, you know, 50 more adventure PDFs. <laughs> what we need is to get more smart and get more better. And so, wow, to think that we're actually pushing toward the 1000 patron goal that's just twisted that's <laughs> just that's just plain weird so anyways welcome all you new patrons the shield wall is one we are united and actually maybe some changes coming for 2020 to bring the community here on patreon closer together so um, discussing all that with the immortals right now they're the highest level supporters and so they're always the most important uh, as far as any changes that are going to come down the line because they're really like they're towing the rope as we say but here in the shield wall we are all equals and we're all fighting together so we're going to make sure that everybody gets to push one more step forward with a mighty ho. So welcome back to RPG Mainframe, so buddy Angry Bernal here. It's episode 55, and what we're going to be talking about today is just one big mailbag. And for one particular piece of mail in that bag, in the aforementioned sack. So every once in a while, you guys know I do this, I'll just take one comment or question or suggestion from the entire maelstrom of stuff that's happening each week or few weeks, and just be like, dang, yeah, thank you. I like that idea. Let's talk about that for a minute. And so... That's what I'm going to do here on episode 55. And what I wanted to talk about is none other than Retune. And not the project of Retune, but the book, 
retune. So I wanted to let you guys know why I'm spending so damn much time on it, what I'm doing, and then most of all, uh, pursuant to the question that I was hit with, you know, what the creative process is there is and, and how it could be, you know, telling or interesting for the RPG creators that are out there, like all of you guys, game masters, dungeon masters, people that are week in, week out, creating new content for each other and for friends and, and making this hobby was it what it is. So first of all, the first thing I wanted to talk about is this time investment element. So you guys probably notice an ebb and flow of, uh, of where my, my time and my effort and my creative explosions go. And sometimes they, they do go like directly, entirely, and exclusively into Patreon, like Bearcats and Odium, right? These are projects that I just made exclusively for Patreon. They aren't even really mentioned anywhere else. Um, Bearcats went up on drive through RPG and instantly disappeared. Like it just, the, the public at large, I don't think is particularly interested in something as niche and, and odd as Bearcats. But for you guys, it was an absolute blast and basically devoured an entire month of my life. I mean, it was just like, that was all I was doing. I was postponing commissions and not even in that many games and just like completely dedicated to it. And then other months, you probably notice, like, where the hell's Ingrid Bernal? Like, you know, I might not be producing a lot of YouTube videos. I might not be doing tons of um, uh, Patreon posts. And you're kind of like, where is this dude? I thought he's doing this full time. And this is one of those kind of periods as I work on Retune. The, the, the effort versus revenue return on Retune is probably going to be absolutely dismal um, because it is a bit of a niche sort of product. But for me, as a creative journey it has really been worth all the time and effort. And that's why I wanted to talk about it here on Mainframe 55. So that was my first thing is I wanted you guys to know that the, uh, the effort, so to speak, the, the good fight, the, the war that is Runehammer versus reality continues unabated. And in fact, like Retune has begun to devour my, my weekend time. Now, as many of you guys know, like weekends are really when I work the most. And Monday is usually my day off. <laughs> so sometimes weekends can get a little distracting. But lately with working on Retune, my goodness, it has become a wake up Thursday morning and basically bust on Retune until Sunday night. And like by the end of Sunday night, I, I'm just melted as far as writing and stuff. And so this is just where my time has been going is I really want Retune to come to the finish line. So that's the first thing I wanted to say is like where all this time is going. Then the second thing I wanted to talk about is with doing retune, like sort of uh, why, what, what, why are you doing this? <laughs> now, for those of you who are newer to the podcast or haven't been following me on Twitter, where really a lot of my sort of day-to-day -day posting is going these days, um, retune is a choose-your-own-adventure cyberpunk novel. And what I wanted to do with this is, is a few different things. I wanted to explore my sort of unique... I hope it's unique take on cyberpunk and, and, you know, the very human sort of angle that I like to think of it. And, uh, I also really wanted to crack the nut on writing a choose your own adventure, um, for various reasons we're about to talk about. And then also I wanted to bring some maturity to that sort of genre. A lot of times choose your own adventure is put in this box. Like it's for 12 year olds. And I'm not quite sure why that is because I still find branching fiction to be super cool and satisfying. And so I wanted to bring some more mature themes and feelings and vocabulary, uh, even like writing structure 
to the genre. Uh, and nothing inspired me more to do this and to crack this nut than the Witcher series. So reading the Witcher, for those of you who haven't, it's a very, very dialogue heavy writing style. And I, I found it brilliant because there aren't a lot of dialogue markers in the writing of the Witcher, meaning he said, she said, and replied, and and he said with sardonic intent, and you know, uh, markers are things that you have to read during dialogue to keep you clear on who's talking. And in the Witcher, they do very little of that. They just let the dialogue flow, and it's sort of up to you to intuit who's speaking. And this was a, a huge epiphany for me. And so between wanting it to feel more mature, wanting it to be sort of dialogue heavy, and and seeing it in my mind what the book could be. I set out on it. Now, the final thing I wanted to talk about before I talk about creative process is, is really sort of part of every single creative process, which is what I just went through with Retune about two weeks ago, which is the, the brutal, extremely difficult and demoralizing sort of halfway point with every project. It's basically the point when your initial enthusiasm about it is almost completely worn off. You've got a new idea that you'd like to work on next, and yet there's this expansive track that needs to be paved before you're gonna be done. And the biggest temptation is just to be like, you know, this isn't quite as cool as I thought it was gonna be, and it's taking longer than I thought it was going to take. So, you know, maybe I don't really need to, to you know, maybe I just, I got creative satisfaction, I'll just move on to the other thing. And so I went through this. I said, you know, maybe this is a huge red herring, you know, like, you know, Retune isn't RPG material that my core readers are really going to be jazzed about. It's not fantasy, which is also like takes it out of the core zone. You know, cyberpunk is a far, far smaller audience. And so what the hell am I doing here? And, you know, maybe I should just call it good. I'm pretty happy that I cracked the nut. And uh, I have to thank my, my current creative confidants a great deal because they said, no, you're dumb. This writing is amazing. You're doing great. Like, finish. Finish this project. Go for it. I can't wait to read it. And that pushed me over the top to keep going. And I, I guess the the sort of um, outcome statement to this isn't necessarily that this halfway point happens and so be ready for it and be ready to push through it. That I think anyone can see. But more importantly, it's like don't underestimate your impact on creative people when you encourage them. Um, and, you know, I've been doing creative pro uh, projects, even self-driven creative projects at a professional level for more than 20 years now. And still just a few people really providing solid, positive and yet critical feedback is just so clutch for the ongoing process and pushing it forward and make, bringing things to completion. So if you, if you have the chance to encourage creators in your life, boy, the value is massive and it requires almost no effort. So do that. <laughs> so so do that <laughs> okay so i went into my journal which dear lord i'm finally coming in on like the final 50 pages of this colossal journal i'm really happy for it to be over i've been carrying this thing around it looks like i'm carrying around like an ancient bible like it's <laughs> not that there's anything wrong with that but it's a little strange to walk into a bar with a giant bible in one hand <laughs> okay so when i went to the journal to write down the creative process on retune which is you know how am i going to write a cyberpunk choose your own adventure novel in an interesting way that's going to satisfy me. I went through lots of different things, lots of different life states, lots of different sort of creative struggles and not just the mechanical ones, but spiritual ones. And so the first note I have, and this kind of makes me laugh, but it says writing routine, creative project uh, process, right? And there's like an underline and then there's some bullets, right? The first bullet says hard AF, 
This doing this is hard as fuck. <laughs> so as some of you know, I began my journey trying to write Choose Your Own Adventure with a book called Nomads of Scar. And that was more than two years ago. I really got quite a ways into Nomads of Scar, about 20,000 words. And, and I was liking some of the ideas. It was a sort of a, almost like a Indiana Jones or a Quartermain kind of a feeling adventure. But the Choose Your Own Adventure part, I did not like it. I didn't like how it felt. It felt sort of contrived. And also, I was having a hell of a time trying to map the overall tree of the choices and form them into coherent arcs and stuff. And then just keeping the writing fresh and emotional as you try to track all these different arcs that the reader is choosing just was overwhelming to me, honestly. I could not do it. I literally hit a, a cognitive load I could not overcome. And so then fast forward two years after working on this in different ways and then researching some of the, uh, the classic techniques that they used and researching established choose your own adventure story trees and then seeing it for myself. And I, I had some epiphanies and some attempts and then some rewinds and then try again. But this brings me to my first bullet, which is like writing choose your own adventure is very freaking difficult. Now, writing novels is also really difficult but in a vastly different way. Uh, and, and I think these sort of process bullets that I have right through here help me see how they're, they're different and how their difficulties are different. And maybe what could be interesting for you guys as game masters or as even as authors yourselves. So my second bullet is that the great thing about writing in Choose Your Own Adventure for me is that it really informs and practices and refines the voice and the mode of thinking that is a game master. And what I mean by the mode and the voice is talking in second person, which is saying you, and talking in present tense, saying you are. So you are standing in a cavern, right? That is a game master thing to say, right? Like you see the boat come up to the dock. You jump over the ravine. You see like, these are all present tense, talking directly to the reader or participant as this omnipotent voice of description and of revelation. We all do this week in, week out as we play RPGs, right? This is the, the meat and potatoes voice of doing our hobby. And so writing a novel in this same voice, I could see for a traditional novel writer could be just infuriating <laughs> because you're, you're putting so much investment and so much sort of uh, leaning upon the reader or the participant as the core that you're, you're, you lose a lot of this sort of power or agency that the author normally possesses solely. And so I could see for a traditional author, this just drives you wild. But as a game master, it's perfectly intuitive to say you jump over the ravine. Or would you like to jump over the ravine? Or you see rocks falling from the ceiling of the cavern. This is a very weird way for people to speak when they're writing normal novels, but in a choose your own adventure, it's really natural. So on the one hand, I felt prepared for the task. And then on the other hand, it was great because doing this task, writing Retune, has refined and, and helped me see more of my own game master's voice and how I can improve it and how I can get more from players when it's time to really come back to the table, which is next freaking month. So... That was a huge element of why this creative task really took hold with me so strongly. Now, the second one is a, a very polarizing realization that I brought to the podcast a few episodes ago about binary choice and binary outcome. And this was probably one of the biggest 
keys that unlocked the mystery of Choose Your Own Adventure for me. It was that each block is what I call them. They're not a chapter or a page. It's called a block. And each block has a binary outcome and a binary outcome only. And that gave me enough simplicity to begin to track out a story that is digestible. So right now I'm on about 91 blocks uh, at about 50,000 words. I think that the the book will conclude somewhere around 110 or 120 blocks at about 80,000 words. That's my target. And so that's, you know, however many choices, but each one is only binary. And that really gave me a lot of power. And not because, oh, yay, now I have a limited number of choices. No, no, no. That is not the goal of the binary. The goal of the binary is to be able to set up an agonizing choice. A, a painful choice. And that's actually my next bullet of the, the huge realization I had about how to write this well. Now, you guys may have heard me talk before about in Choose Your Own Adventure, I hate it when they say, do you want to go left or right? And you're just like, I don't even know what's, you know, do you want to go to the pool or the cemetery? And you're like, I don't know, the cemetery sounds cool. So you go to the page that's the cemetery, you walk, you fall in an open grave and it collapses on you and you die. And you're just like, uh, what the fuck just happened? <laughs> you know, I, I really do not like that kind of choose your own adventure writing. And so what binary gave me was set using each block to set up this agonizing choice. It's like, do you want to save the, the little boy or do you want to save the little girl? But you can't save both. This overall mindset gave me a way to visualize how these arcs evolve and change and how they get more and more invested with the reader and how you feel these choices and you feel their outcomes rather than just sort of having you do a Pac-Man, right? Where you're kind of going left, right, left, right, up, down, and you're moving through this little Pac-Man maze. Instead of that, it's more just like, well, man, do I really want to blah? Because then I can't blah. I'm like, ah, damn it. So binary became really powerful for me. And I think this informs a lot of making manageable choices for players in RPGs. They don't have to come across as strictly binary, but they have a sort of what's generally called a Sophie's choice element, which is a term that I think is actually falling out of favor nowadays because it does refer, it does refer to a movie about, um, you know, the Holocaust and stuff. So to, to flippantly throw the term Sophie's choice around is actually a bit insensitive. It's, it's kind of a, it's a bit coarse to use that, that term, but really that's what this is. Do you save the little boy or do you save the little girl? This is a, a really harsh kind of version of the, the binary choice that's agonizing, but it's almost the sort of quintessential version of it. And bringing that feeling into the major events or turning points of your campaign, I think is a valuable lesson that is really worth doing this entire project to realize in full. The next one, and this is probably the biggest one as far as unlocking my capability to write such a complicated story spaghetti, um, is what I'm calling prompts. Now, I know that it's very popular to write outlines for stories before writing your full book. And honestly, like every website you look at out there that says how to be an author and how to write a novel, it's very strong about outlining, right? You need to accept that outlining is going to be part of your life. You're going to want to outline your book so that when you sit down and you, you're feeling like writing, you're not figuring everything out all over again every session, right? You have your outline, you kind of know what's ahead, and you're going to bang it out. I hate doing outlines. They absolutely kill my buzz as a writer. I feel like the outline, if I write the outline of the story, I'm done, which is a lot like campaign thinking, right? You don't really write all the scenes. You just write the outline. 
And even the outline then can be thrown out halfway through. But outlines have always killed my buzz as a writer, and so I couldn't really use them. And boy, would it be handy to have, <laughs> have a freaking outline lying around when you're doing Choose Your Own Adventure. But I'm not an outliner, so I just had to face that. And what I found was a new method that I enjoy called prompts. Now, writing prompts are generally referred to as a practice tool, right? So you get a writing prompt, a lot like Inktober, right? Inktober is a drawing prompt. You get a couple of keywords and you draw what you interpret from it. A writing prompt is very similar. But for me, I, I took this in a whole new different place. So I have, let's say, 10, 20 blocks ahead that I want to write through, or you know, maybe five or eight blocks would be a typical writing session. And they intertwine in maybe two or three different emotional threads that have totally different facts involved and different conditions because of player choices. And that's really hard to navigate if I'm going back to my story tree in my book. I'm trying to remember where this causality led to that causality led to this and like trying to get context so that I can write with emotion, with fervor. But with prompts, what I would do is take a single session to write down the block number, the prompt and the outcomes. So the prompt could be, um, you know, you return to Tanaka to ask about the Hanzo. And you're also grumpy about the creep. Okay, whatever. It gives me a little bit of an, uh, what I need to write about, what my emotional tone is, and what I'm hoping to get. And then I have my outcomes. So, so I say, if outcome A, then blah. And if outcome B, then blah. And so it shows me everything I need to do. I need to set the stage for that feeling of that block. I need to remember why you're here and, and give you reinforcement. I need to unfold the events. And then I need to use those events to build to the choice. And since I have the prompt written and the choices written, all I have to do is go in and put peanut butter and jelly on the bread. And so instead of looking back at where you are in the story and what's happening and what the emotional feelings and tones and rises and falls are, you have these prompts just ready to go. But it doesn't feel like an outline, which is just a supreme you know, scaffolding structure of your entire story. It just feels like the next prompt, right? So crack your knuckles, you sip on your beer, have a bite of your piece of pizza, you look down at your laptop and you go, okay, what, what, what's the next prompt here? And it's like, zibba, jubba, jubba, jubba with an action scene. And then there's this emotional overtone and the outcomes are these two directions. Like, oh, ooh, that's tasty. Okay, yeah, let's get in here. Chicka, 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 chicka. And then before you know it, Uzis are going off. People with swords is like weird, you know, like robot things, with, you know, like five arms and stuff. <laughs> and you're off and running. And so that was a huge tool for me. It may seem somewhat obvious, but... Knowing about things and actually employing things is vastly different in the realm of being creative. Um, you know, a lot of people know about creative tools, but to actually employ them in a working environment and like really lean into them is to know them. Okay, now number five is one that I've definitely have had a podcast about in the past and have many, many times failed to take my own advice, which is just letting things go and letting go of expected outcomes or expected feelings or coolnesses I thought were going to occur and going with what's happening. And in a choose your own adventure, this is particularly acute in its pain because if you let something go, your story structure can begin to disintegrate very, very quickly. And this has happened numerous times on Retune. The emotions of the moment take me to a place that I had not planned. 
And I need it to go there because it's authentic and it feels right. And the characters are being themselves and creating this story. And I need to just sort of, you know, be the bull rider in this. I just need to hold on for eight more seconds, right? Not tell them what they're supposed to be so that they can be authentic and, and emotional and, and tangible. And then there goes my story tree and I have to scribble out a bunch of lines and draw a bunch of new circles. And I will post my journal so you guys can see how insane this is, um, hopefully without spoiling Retune. At first, I was really reticent to do that because it'd be like, well, I'm losing a bunch of work every time I do this. But you know what? The thing about letting go, every time you do it, you feel so dang good. <laughs> you just feel so good. And yes, it creates lots of work. Yes, it scrambles what you thought was going to be a cool idea. Yes, it's painful. But oh man, it's just like it's just like how going to the gym is painful. When you're coming out of the gym, oh man, you're just high on all those endorphins and oxygen in your brain. You just feel like, oh, I got it done. I got it done. And it's the same here. So just let go, Luke. He's turned off his targeting computer. <laughs> All right. Number six is the big tree. Uh, wait, this is number seven. This is my seventh little bullet here. The big tree. The big tree is sort of my catchword for when I realized how to plot the story tree of this book. And it isn't just looking at how other people have, do it and, or have done it and just be like, oh, yeah. That's how you do it, just like that. No, no, no. It's, <laughs> I wish it was like that. It's totally not like that. So my first few trees completely fell apart. They got too complex. I couldn't track the emotions across them. Then I had an idea to actually use geometry or to use a map as a tree. And I still think this method might be useful, but I kind of broke out of it on Retune. But basically, you draw a map like you would for any campaign. And then you you write your story tree in the map so that you know where things happen as the story moves across the map, right? So the story tree would not only represent events, it would re represent space. And this would always give you a descriptive boundary and so on and so forth. And even though I didn't fully stick to this, it started making it manageable in concepts for me. I started seeing groups of blocks as arcs or as sort of story theme chunks just like you would in a campaign, right? Remember the part when we were in the swamp? And then, oh, there was that other part when we were in those crazy pyramids. Oh, yeah, and then remember we were up on that floating city for a while? Yeah, I know, but then we lost all our gear and we were kind of hanging out with those mud people for like five sessions. So you just described a map, really, and described a way that a story was moving from location to location in blocks, not in single movements. And, and that thinking is very familiar to me and very useful, and I started seeing the story that way. But this story also moves in strange, strange ways because it's cyberpunk. Now, one nice thing about fantasy is you do have people like on foot. <laughs> They're on foot. They don't have radio and they barely have currency. And like everything's very down to earth and very sort of right in front of you until you bring a lot of magic in, of course. But in cyberpunk, you know, there's a lot of concepts to play with uh, about multi-identity and about transmissions and data and locations and speed. And like, there's a lot going on. And so it just, the map concept didn't quite work. You know, another um, great resource for this sort of map thinking is the, the larger maps in the back of the Forbidden Lands Game Master's Guide. They did a great job with that. It's a lot like a battle world, right? They they map a really large space with these sort of movements. And the movements could be, you know, one to three sessions each. But you get that feeling of like what this is. And like that feeling, that notion, that phrase, what this is, is solid gold when you're an author or a creator. Because you get that, that epiphany, that feeling of knowing. 
And if you have that feeling of knowing, then you can begin the craft work of carving each scene out of stone. But that feeling of knowing is what you continually return to, to say like, oh yeah, I know where this should go. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Yeah, because, because that big weird thing I know is, gonna, is the truth behind a lot of this. Of course it's going to go this direction. And, you know, we've talked a lot about the whole truth here on Runehammer, and this is big part of seeing the whole truth as an author, is having an intuitive space. And that was the big tree, and that was the huge breakthrough I had that made me decide to really push through and write Retune. Now, the rest of, of the creative process around Retune is stuff we've all talked about, using disposable writing, um, using, you know, habit, using vice. You know, if there's something you really like, if you like chocolate cake, then you sit down and you have your chocolate cake next to you while you write, because what it does is it puts you in that reward state. And that's when your brain is happy and cheerful and upbeat. And then you have another little bite of chocolate cake, and then you write a little bit. And this puts you into that state of like, I'm getting treated right now, not I'm busting my butt. The, the mindset of I'm busting my butt does not generate a lot of relaxation in the mind, in my opinion, and therefore doesn't unleash creativity. And this is why also I think the tabletop gaming is such a fun hobby is because a lot of people see it as their big sort of reward for the week, right? Like I'm going to get, I'm going to get a six pack of beer. I'm going to have a Red Bull. I'm going to have like a bowl of pistachios and we're going to roll up on this table. And we're going to have a good time. That puts your mind in this very creative, very happy state. And so if you're being a writer, do that. Use your vices and use it as a reward for yourself instead of saying, I'm working, I'm working, I hate working, I hate working. <laughs> so all the other creative um, you know, process stuff that we talk about on Runehammer definitely has been a big part of Retune. But to me, it's always different to talk it than to walk it. And Retune has been so hard to do and so sort of emotional that I've had to really apply a lot of my own advice. And, you know, uh, you guys may have noticed that I sort of went into a, a like a bit of a fervor on uh, Saturday night here a couple nights ago, um, just with pure excitement about Retune, just posting blurbs on various social media and also just generally being super psyched about it. It's really because I reached one of the hugest crescendos in the book that I've been building to for more than two months now and, you know, almost 50,000 words to build up to one sort of notion and then to be able to finally write it and feel all those emotions come through and feel how potent they feel. That was so rewarding to me because a big part of this kind of writing and really the tabletop hobby in general, it's not the events that occur. It's the emotions that, that go with the events. And uh, I think we've all been there as far as tabletop goes is like the events are cool, but the emotions that are, that are parallel to those events are really are the game and are the hobby. And they are those feelings that become so memorable that make people who play together stay together, you know, like they, they make those con games that were unexpectedly amazing, you know, really stick in your mind. Not necessarily exactly what happened, but the sort of the ups and downs emotionally of, of what those events meant. And to me, this is the true dividend as a writer that I'm working toward. And so sometimes choose your own adventure can work against that dividend because it can be harder to sell emotion when I'm relying on you to make a lot of these core choices. But that there, once again, just that thing I just said, that's coming right back to that GM voice, that GM mode of thinking. Like we can't have emotion be inhibited by the fact that the player is making all these decisions, not the writer, the so-called mastermind. And, and that mindset of making all that work is the very fundamental core of how game masters think. And so I think it's really been fun for me to apply that thinking 
to this project, Project Retune. Now, if there's a great reception for Retune, I would love it because I would love to write more choose your own adventure fiction. I think it's extremely fun. Uh, I'll also be releasing a digital version, which lets you hot click the choices. So you're not turning pages, but you know, hard copies are always really cool. And I'm currently deciding if I'm going to illustrate it or not. I think it being illustrated would be really neat, but it could also limit some of the sort of in your imagination components. So we'll have to see on that one. But anyway, that's about where I'm at. So now all I do is face the hardest part of all, which is finishing. So I'm two thirds or a little bit more through the entire process. And now I just have to finish it all out. I just have to close out these stories in meaningful, exciting and surprising ways and just get the hard work done. And that will probably take until about the end of the year. And then it'll be a matter of getting the refinement and the editing done and the proofing and then get it published. So that's when you guys can look forward to this. Um, Long before that, you're going to see the quick start for Altered State is going to be coming out here within about a week, maybe even less. And that's going to give you everything you need to make characters and GM your own games of Altered State, which are all going to begin in December. So I'll be running my series, which is called Birthday Boy. And I know that Alex uh, Alvarez and others, uh, Chuck, I think is going to as well, going to be running some great Altered State games. And we can all get into this and you can play with all these crazy new mechanics and this crazy world and we can see where it takes us all. So I'm really, really excited for that. Last year was such a blast doing the Broken Sword Saga and doing the uh, Tesseract Dagger as big, um, you know, group play test games. Those were so freaking fun. So I'm really looking forward to that whole cycle of getting to know new players and forming new friendships all over again for the, the beginning of 2020. So, hey, you guys, that's it. That's all I got for my creative process on Retune. Just chewing your ear off for about a half an hour here on the Rune Haman. Yes. Once again, welcome to all the new patrons. It's so great to have you guys. Make sure to put in some work because there is a ton of stuff to download on my Patreon page here, and it's all unlocked for a buck. If you find something back in the backlog that is not unlockable for a dollar, uh, maybe like Blood and Snow or something, and you and you just want a copy and you're not sure you, you have the ducats to upgrade, just give me a holler. Just email me directly, um, especially moving into next year. There's a lot of amnesty with my older content right now. So um, by the time ICRPG 3rd Edition comes out, like the original card volumes and, and other things are all just going to be things I'll happily hand out. Um, just so that everybody can sort of get to the table, so to speak, so that when third edition really hits, you know, we really do uh, see how far this index card RPG wormhole can really go, okay? So thank you, everybody, for the support. You're allowing me to do all this experimentation, and uh, we'll see how this whole crazy thing with YouTube shakes out. Um, so not sure exactly what the fate of that side of the output is going to be. Um, but I know I'm going to be making videos because making videos is fun. They might just wind up on Patreon only. So if that's something that's exciting, then, you know, just sound off. Always please be welcome to holler in the comments or just email me straight up. This is your buddy, Roberto. Hank Fernail here. I'm signing off. I got to go get back on the old internet. My day off is over. So uh, keep it real. Do not steal, and you will always get a deal, all right? You guys, be strong out there. Make the world just a tiny bit more better than you found it, all right? And until next time, signing off. Peace. Whoa, 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 whoa.